1: you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports.
2: Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigobon. Joining me as usual, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you this morning? Good, Wally. How are you? Good. First of all, uh, let's uh, let's uh, start off by wishing all the mothers out there a fantastic Mother's Day. Uh, so to all the mothers, have a happy Mother's Day. I know, Nez, uh, you would like to give uh, your uh, your uh, regards. so I'll turn it over to you for that.
3: Happy Mother's Day, uh, especially my wife, Mary Lane. Thanks for great. being a great mother.
2: Yeah I'm surrounded uh, by mothers today. My mother, my mother-in-law, my wife, my daughter, and uh, I know Naz you've got uh, you've got a grandchild on the way so uh, you're going to be an addition, another I mean, a mother addition to your family in the coming year as well and that's a blessing. Congratulations. Yes, thanks. Can't wait. And, and talking about blessings, uh, we're pleased to uh, welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour been a while since he's been with him, with us It's uh, Sportsnet's Matt Marchese. Uh, I guess I'm surrounded by the Marchese family today, and that's that's certainly a privilege for me. Matt, how are you
4: today? Well, lucky for you, you get surrounded by the Marchese. Usually we try and get away from ourselves. <laughs> As I said, I, I think I'm the ham and the sandwich today, but uh, I've
2: never met I've never met two more passionate sports guys than, uh, than, than Naz and, uh, and, and Matt. And, uh, and, uh, while I'm on that topic of Marquesi, there wasn't a more fanatic sports fan than, uh, than your grandfather, Matt, uh, uh, Naz's father. We spent a lot of time in the living room over at, uh, at uh, your grandparents place in the seventies, uh, you know, uh, fighting Toronto Maple Leaf battle. So I'm, uh, I'm thrilled that I've got both of you guys on today. Uh, for the uh, Matt, we've got you for the first half of the hour. Second half of the hour, we're going to be talking 1972 Summit Series with Scott Morrison, uh, acclaimed sports journalist. Uh book has been released in 1972, the series that changed hockey forever. 50th anniversary is coming up in September this year, and uh, we'll get a ch- chance to talk to Scott in his book about that later on in the hour. Every Sunday... Uh, we start off, Matt and Naz, we say, what happened to the Leafs in the last week? I can't say it was a pretty good week for the Leafs, Naz, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was you know, a pretty good week, for sure. Certainly, yeah. if we had, when we left the show off last Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, if we had said the Leafs would be ahead 2-1 to one in the series, I don't think anybody would have said we would have been unhappy about that. So, Naz, let's break down the Leafs week. Uh, uh, awesome performance in Game 1. Um, not the greatest in Game Two. I think they got a little bit mentally unhinged or unfocused, but certainly hung on hung in there in Game Three. Uh, first to you, Naz, and then to you, Matt. Uh, overall, from a general perspective, uh, your your assessment of the Leafs' uh, first three games.
3: Naz- very su- very surprised at Tampa Bay that they look so slow out there. I didn't think the Leafs were that quick, but it looks like they are that quick, and they're going to have trouble maintaining that. And uh, I think Tampa Bay's is going to be out of it. By the time next week comes around, you're the
2: eternal optimist Naz, and uh, thankfully uh, thankfully for that uh, Matt uh, you uh, break it down first three games uh, are the Leafs where you thought they were going to be when we started the series would the uh, is this prog- is this panning out the way you would have anticipated Matt
4: I don't think anybody could have anticipated that the Leafs would have been the dominant team for. Seven periods for sure, but you could make the argument for eight because I thought that they were the better team in the first period of game two outside of that, that late goal that proved to be a killer for them. Um, and I thought they were the better team in the third period of that game as well. So Tampa really, they they look different. They don't look like the same dominant team. Andre Vasilevsky... Has looked human at points, which is something that we haven't seen too much over the course of the previous two playoffs. And even even with his his number, and we're going to hear a lot about it today before the game. You know, Tampa Bay is fifteen and zero in their their last fifteen games, coming off of a loss. And Andre Vasilevsky's goals against average is under two, and we can look at those stats. But the Leafs still managed to get three past him. And they were still in the game despite being down five one in the third period. I just think that when you look at how the Leafs have played, they they they've played their own game, and I think that's the biggest difference from previous years, is that they're not trying to be different. They are playing a little bit more physically, but and their and their defense is better than it has been in previous years. But they're not trying to change their style. They're still trying to play fast, which is why I, I, I give Sheldon Keith credit for bringing Jason Sveta into the lineup and and keeping Pierre Engvall in the lineup and dropping him down to the fourth line to play with speed and not have to worry about, you know, having rough and tumble guys in the lineup. Because, listen, if you're trying to match up with the other team's fourth line, they're, they've they already beaten you. And that's what happened in game two, I found. And Sheldon Keith learned from his mistake. And now the Leafs are up 2-1. <clears throat> I think the biggest surprise through the series is that we can say that Jack Campbell has largely outplayed Andre Vasilevsky, and I don't think that anybody thought that that was going to happen by the time Game Four rolled around. No,
2: no, no question about uh, Jack Campbell. Uh, he's done so far in the first three games what uh, what Leafs fans and what Leafs Nation needs him to do. And uh, as you as you point out, uh, Matt. Um, you know, if he can if he can goaltend to a draw with Basilewski, uh, you know that that would be uh, that's a ticket to victory. But you know, he's he's gone beyond that so far. Um, I, I will say, as a, as a Leafs fan and part of Leafs Nation, uh, having been through what we've been through in the last seven years, I am still a little bit nervous. Uh, not a little bit, quite quite a bit. You know, it's it's only it's only two one, uh, but we want to be positive, and that's. Uh, Certainly we don't want to dwell on any negatives and uh, uh, there's still a lot of hockey to be played and as you as you pointed out, Matt, you've got that statistic that uh, Tampa has not lost two in a row. I think it's the last 15 or the last 16 and I think at some point in this series if the Leafs are going to have to win this series, they're going to have to break that stat. I, you know, To go alternate, 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 uh, I think that's that's creating a thin margin of error, so we'd like to see that broken tonight. Naz, uh, bottom line, uh, the Leafs' third and fourth line, the guys down there, Mikheyev, Engvall, Blackwell, Kemp, um, they've brought it. Uh, they are the key to the series right now. Uh, they are the reason, together with Campbell and a defense that's tightened up, uh, the reason the Leafs are ahead in the series. Um, your, your, uh, your thoughts on, uh, on on the performance of uh, the bottom end of the Leafs lineup rather than the top end?
3: Yeah, they've really performed well. Uh, Tavares and Nylander haven't performed that well. But right. they pick up the slack for sure. The one thing that I'm really surprised at is the refs are calling everything. And if that's the case, the Leafs' advantage is definitely there for them to take the series. Uh, We're talking also today with uh,
2: Matt Marchese from Sportsnet. Matt, uh, uh, Naz just uh, alluded to the performance of Tavares and Nylander. Um, You know, obviously because Leafs are ahead two games to one, they are, uh, you know, Leafs are winning. And uh, I would say uh, in spite of the fact that they're not really producing offensively, uh, although they are contributing, obviously, hockey is more than just an offensive game, and they're contributing in a lot of different ways. Um, I really see the Leafs' ultimate success in the rest of this series. Uh, Tavares and Nylander gotta start finding the net. Uh, any comments on that, Matt?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think when we're if we're if we're trying to be positive here, the Leafs are up two one. They've gone two for fifteen on the power play in this in this series, and John Tavares and William Nylander have not scored a goal and they have not performed and frankly I thought William Nylander's best game was the game that he had food poisoning so and that was game one Um, John Tavares just looks a step slow and I know that this is the exact same player that we've seen throughout the season John Tavares has never been the fleetest afoot we know that but it seems right now that he's not getting into the areas that make him successful fast enough. He's not getting to the front of the net fast enough where he can tip pucks. He's not getting into the zone and, and hounding defenses for pucks. It's just, there's something off in his game. But if you can say that two of your top four forwards haven't produced a drop yet and you're up two one and your power play hasn't been good and, one of the two goals that you scored on the power play was on a five-on-three, I think there's lots of room for optimism because, to me, that says that even though Tampa probably hasn't played their best in this series, that the Leafs can still get a little bit more out of those two guys to take some of the pressure off the top guys. Listen, the bottom six has been beyond incredible. I, think, I don't think you can ask for any better than, than they've played. David Camp has been great. He's got two goals, which I don't think anybody saw because he was a black hole on offense for the, for the last season. And, and you get some production out of Mikhaev, You get him in on the four check. And I, I really loved the, the Colin Blackwell addition when they made it. And I think we need to give credit to the Leafs defense because when we look at this group, it is the best group of defensemen that this Leafs team has had in probably 20 years. Because they have eight guys that can play on any night that are legit NHL defensemen, and not you know a guy like Martin Marincin who's not an NHL defenseman. go, go, go there, please. Been, go, go. That's bad Carbon. Man. So, so <laughs> but this, this team was—they said that the depth it was going to shine through, and that's what's happened. They have they have defensemen who are NHL defensemen and forwards who are NHL forwards that can't get into the lineup, and and that's been crucial. Because you can make your maneuvers with your lineup and you can tinker with things. They're going to go with the same lineup again tonight, is my guess. I don't think we're going to see Timothy Liljegren after Justin Hall played the other night and they won. You don't mess with a winning lineup. Um, but I'm curious to see how Tampa answers because, you know, they had that same third line with, with Yanni Gord and Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow, and everybody talked about how great it was, and oh, well, they can just recreate it. Sometimes you need guys to play together for a while, and that third line hasn't been together enough to create chemistry, and I think the Leafs have been able to take advantage of that.
2: Uh, what um, a couple of, you know, look back on, on the three games, and there, there's a couple of key moments in, in this series that I, I sort of, I hope the Leafs uh, can continue Uh in that same vein for lack of a better term and it just it it struck me that this this maybe that this is a different Leafs team. They're they're better prepared. The players are there's a better fit amongst the players. And I thought, you know, if there's a turning point in the series, it came pretty early in this series. Uh, they killed off that five-minute major in game one. Not only did they kill it off, they had all the best scoring chances. And I'm, and I'm watching them kill off, and I, I said, I, you know, when they got that five-minute major, um, and I, mean, I just looked at it, I said, oh, my God, here we go again. I mean, Tampa's going to score two goals, game's over, and we're behind the eight ball. But man, they uh they were just a different team on killing that that one. And uh and in game three Nas, um, you know, they have a three nothing lead. They got things in hand. They um you know, the Tampa scratches back with a goal. Then they scratch back with another goal, and they got and the fans are going wild. And they got every reason to fold, perhaps like they have in the past. And you know, Marner rings one off the rings one off the post, but Matthews got a breakaway. Marner rings it off the post and the crossbar on the same shot. You know, it could have been four to one, and then it's three to two, and they got to hang on for the almost the entire third period, uh, and they did. And Campbell. You know, made the save of uh, his. You know, against the Stamkos, I believe. Um, uh, remarkable. I, I just, I got a sense maybe this is this, this team is psychologically in a better place than previous Leafs teams. Nas,
3: I agree. And Marner's been fantastic out there. He's he's been the MVP of the uh, series so far, and if he continues this play, he's going to be main asset for the Leafs going down the stretch to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, certainly,
2: Marner and Matthews. Uh, uh, at this time, I, I think it's, uh, uh, we'll, take, we'll take a break. Matt, you're going to stick with us for a few more minutes after the break? Sure thing. Absolutely. We'll come uh, <clears throat> go to break. We'll be right back and we'll, uh, we'll talk some more NHL playoffs. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when we realised that our extra-large pizza is two whole inches longer than the so-called extra-large from the big pizza conglomerates. How do they even call theirs extra large when Pizzaville gives you 18 whopping inches, steaming hot? Because, let's be honest, who wouldn't want two more inches?
0: Pizzaville Stone Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian.
5: This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infiniti cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes
0: Alta Infiniti the captain's choice. We all value our sporting heroes. But what price would you put on one in mint condition? If you ask us, you'll get an honest answer. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise is looking to buy your vintage collection of hockey, basketball, baseball, football, and soccer heroes. Come and see us in person at our new Toronto Mint Inc. Gallery, now open at 198 Davenport, east of Avenue Road, or visit our store online at mintink.ca. Show us what you got, and we'll show you the money. Think Mint Inc.,
1: To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training, and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this. The only thing I love more than sports, is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. Welcome
2: back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on AM 740 in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM, live streaming on the Internet, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to have join us this morning, Sportsnet's Matt Marchese. Uh, guys, we're talking about the Leafs uh, you know, we thought at the, at the beginning the keys to the series would be, obviously, Matthews and Marner be, being unshackled. Uh, uh, they were sort of uh, held, uh, held pretty closely last year by the Canadians. That has panned out. Uh, the bottom uh, six in this lineup has panned out. Tavares and Nylander, they're doing their job, perhaps from a defensive point of view. We need them to start cashing in. Campbell was a question mark. He's, uh, he's answered all the questions so far. Uh, if he can keep it going at the level, he's going to keep it going. Certainly, uh, the Leafs are looking pretty good. And the other, the other area we thought might be uh, might be an area that might not hold up was the defense. So far, so good. Uh, Giordano has made a huge difference uh, back there. He's steadied that second pairing and uh, has made everybody better in in a lot of different ways. Um, defense wise, Naz, and then I'll turn it over to you, uh, Matt. Um, so far, so good on the back end. That was that was certainly a concern. Uh, Justin Holt still makes me nervous when he's out there. But overall, uh, can't be
3: critical. Can't be too critical of the back end, can we, Ness? Yeah, the Leafs played without uh, Muzzin most of the year. And Muzzin has been very good back there. Very aggressive, hard on the puck. And he kills penalties very well. And I like their defense. I think the defense is as good as Tampa Bay right now.
2: Matt, uh defense was a concern's been a concern for the leafs for years uh but overall you know i mean you get good goaltending and, and you get responsibility from your from your forwards that makes playing d a lot easier and d's a lot easier when you're trying to simplify the game and and not and not trying to be fancy and keep it up you know get it out around the boards not not dump it in the middle uh you impressed with the leafs d so far in the series Matt?
4: yeah i mean i don't think anybody thought to this point that that would have been a strong suit for this, this team, especially when we look at, at how this team has played defensively at times during the year. I agree that Mark Giordano was a, a really solid addition to the team. He's got experience, and, and that's the one thing when we talk about Mark Giordano, it's not a guy that was drafted in the OHL. He wasn't drafted in the NHL. He had to apply his trade in the AHL and then go to the KHL, before making an, an impact at the NHL level, he's played over a thousand games. He's won a Norris Trophy. He's kind of been at every single level that you can that you can be at, and he re- can relate to anybody on the roster. So I think I think he's been a great influence on this group, and he's played really well too. Like let's not let's not forget that. And Jake Muzzin, like like my my dad mentioned. I don't think anybody thought that he was going to be as good as he's been because in the games that he played in coming off of injury in the regular season before the playoffs started, he wasn't very good. And he's just ramped his play up to a totally different level. We haven't even talked about Morgan Riley or TJ Brody in this conversation either. And those are the guys that they rely on to be, you know, their, their, their anchors on the back end. I think a lot of teams around the league even though they may not have the, the superstar cachet, like Riley's not among the elite, but he's probably in that second tier of defensemen, the, the very good defenseman group. So they don't have the superstar guy like Victor Hedden who's, who can play 28, 30 minutes a night, but they have balance. And I think that's what's been the biggest difference from years past is that they can throw out any pair at any moment and and they're going to be fine and you can trust them. I think that the way that the team has played defensively has helped Jack Campbell. If you guys notice, there's not a lot of second-chance scoring opportunities for Tampa Bay. It's one save and, and frozen, or one save into the board, or one save and out. And I think that's been the biggest key because, as we've seen in this series, Tampa has not shied away from driving to the net and trying to get in Jack Campbell's kitchen. But when they do, there's nothing there. There's no cookies there for them lying in front of the net. And I think that's been a huge key to this series, that the forwards have, have been good. We've seen, we've seen Austin Matthews on, on a back check on Steven standpost. We've seen how the Leafs have been very active in their own zone. And, and the penalty kill has been very good. When you can create as many opportunities, if not more, than the opposing team when they're on the power play, on, when you're on the penalty kill... I think that's been a a huge difference in this series. And I think that's the, to me, that's the biggest reason for optimism because even in the 5-3 loss in game two, Tampa Bay scored three power play goals. So it's not as if it was because the defense was so awful or the goaltending was so awful. It's because the Leafs gave up, they took too many stupid penalties and, and their penalty killers were tired out because they seemingly happened all in the second period. So I, I think that the way that this group has played defensively is a huge positive and it's a reason for optimism throughout the rest of the series. Um, we're talking to Matt uh, Sportsnet's Matt Marchese. Really quickly, guys, we've got to go to
2: break in, uh, in a couple of minutes. Uh, uh, game four for the Leafs tonight in uh, in Tampa. Uh, a lot of series around the, uh, a lot of other <laughs> playoff hockey going on. Uh, just uh, comments on a couple of series here. Um panthers uh president's cup trophy winners looks like the jinx is hitting them uh didn't look that great yesterday got blown out by washington they're down <laughs> they're down two to one against the capitals and the avalanche uh look like uh they could be uh they're gonna be around for a long playoff run really quickly guys first Eunez and then matt um any comments on what's going on around the rest of the league any surprises uh any anything that uh and you noticed, uh, uh noticed your attention.
3: I'm very surprised at Florida getting beat 6-1 yesterday. And uh, I'm really shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if Washington won that series now. But I'm, I I can't believe that
4: Florida played that badly yesterday. Yeah, uh, Matt, I the Florida thing is bizarre to me, but somebody made the point earlier this week on, on one of the shows that I was producing, and they said, Florida looks like the team that Washington used to be—that high-octane offense that was great in the regular season. And once they got to the playoffs, they couldn't get over that hump, and they needed to learn how to lose before they won. And and that's the feeling that I get with that Florida team, even though they're they're incredibly gifted offensively, they've showed their worth. And and Peter Laviolette, frankly, has outcoached Andrew Burnett through the first two games Colorado is just a juggernaut right now um I feel bad for Nashville because without UC Saros, they they didn't really stand a chance anyway and game two was you know the 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 big story with Connor Ingram because he made 49 saves but the young goalie going in he's playing with house money and then the the house of cards came tumbling down yesterday because Colorado is just too good feel bad for Nashville but Somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose. And, and those two, you know, and and the, the last one that I'll get to, I am absolutely stunned that Pittsburgh has won two of three games with a third string goalie and that. I, I can't believe, like, I don't, Louis Dominguez is, is a journeyman goalie for a reason. And Pittsburgh has just found a way to play in front of him, whether it be in the overtime uh, in game one, where he came in and made 17 saves and the, the game went to triple overtime. Or yesterday's game where they put up a seventh spot on the Rangers and they chased Igor Shosturkin, who's been the best goalie all year, and they chased him from the game and then lit up Alexander Gorgiev. That series just has the makings of going seven, and I – it would be a big, big loss for the Rangers if they can't get out of the first round against that aging Penguins team. Certainly would. We've been uh, at
2: the privilege of chatting with Sportsnet's Matt Marchese this morning. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Anytime. And, Dad, I will see you later. <laughs> okay. There <he> is. <laughs> That was Matt Marchese. Uh, coming up in the next segment of the hour, the book is called 1972, the Series That Changed Hockey Forever. It's acclaimed sports journalist Scott Morrison will be talking about the Summit Series. Uh, Santiago, our producer, if you can play that clip before we go to break, uh, I'll cue you now. Go ahead, please.
4: One minute left to go. A 5-5 tie. This is the tie-breaking game. You couldn't get it any closer. Savard at his own blue line turning around with Pat Stableton coming out in pass on an open wing, but
6: here's Cornwallier coming up for it. A long shot in off the stick of Esposito.
5: Vassiliev goes back of the net. Cornwallier steals it. A pass in front. Henderson was upended as he tried to shoot it. Here's another shot. Henderson right in. He scores!
6: Henderson!
2: It was a rainy day when Pizzaville declared, <coughs> We'll never be the fastest! We'll never be the cheapest. We'll never be the snazziest dressed. What? My point is,
5: we want to be the best.
2: At PizzaVille, we want to make the best pizza. Stone-baked, the traditional Italian way.
0: PizzaVille Stone-Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian.
1: To become a champion in business, it takes coaching, training and bench strength. And every team needs a skilled player like KPMG Enterprise for private companies. KPMG Enterprise helps entrepreneurs and family businesses grow, strengthen, and transition by offering a full suite of services, including audit, accounting, tax, and advisory. Your business doesn't stand still. It evolves. Team up with a winner. Visit kpmg.ca slash enterprise. Let's do this.
5: Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the
0: captain's choice. We all value our sporting heroes. But what price would you put on one in mint condition? If you ask us, you'll get an honest answer. Mint, Inc., trading cards and sports merchandise, is looking to buy your vintage collection of hockey, basketball, baseball, football, and soccer heroes. Come and see us in person at our new Toronto Mint, Inc. gallery, now open at 198 Davenport, east of Avenue Road, or visit our store online at mintink.ca. Show us what you got, and we'll show you the money. Think Mint, Inc.,
1: Last minute of play in the game. Unlike sports, the outcome of palliative care isn't determined in the dying seconds. Physically, socially, and spiritually, palliative care is giving someone the best quality of life for however long life remains, while supporting their loved ones. All services are free of charge with partial government funding. The need for palliative care is great. Making an impact is the newly opened Hospice Vaughn, Mario and Nick Cortellucci Hospice Palliative Care Center of Excellence. A truly amazing 10-bed residence, the first palliative care hub in Vaughn. If you share the belief that everyone deserves to live until they die, get involved. Volunteer your time or donate to hospicevaughn.com. We are for community by community, and together we are here to serve. Are they ever wrong about sports i can answer that in two words impossible the naz and wally sports hour on zoomer radio
5: here at the end of 27 astounding
3: days there's time for one more moment to define the heart and character of canadian hockey
2: Canadian team went into a hot air, which seemed to be a little unusual. 102 left in the game. Staple done. He cleared
4: to the open wing to Cornwia. Cornwia took a shot. The defensive fell over. The after the Cornwia has it out that way. Here's the shot. Henderson made a wild, bad spell.
2: Good morning. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. <clears throat> we're pleased—excuse me—we're pleased to welcome to the Naz Wally Sports Hour acclaimed Scott, sports journalist Scott Morrison. The book is "1972: The Series That Changed Hockey Forever." And uh, Scott, welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Thanks so much for joining us.
6: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good morning.
2: Good uh, Good morning, and uh, we just got an opportunity. We always take the opportunity if we can. We've talked about the series on the show quite a few times over the times we've been on the air. Uh, we always take an opportunity to play the the, the, four, the, the uh, Foster Hewitt uh, call, and this morning we decided to play the Bob Cole call as well, the one that's, uh, that was broadcast on the radio all over the world, uh, the one that um, uh, people aren't that as familiar Scott, it's 50 years ago, September 28th um, of this fall. Uh, are you surprised that this resonates so much still with Canadians, Canadian hockey fans? Um, you know, we're up, uh, you're, on, you're on Zoomer Radio this morning. Most of our listeners were alive when, when the series played. Naz and I, we remember where we were. Uh, we're actually a little bit older than you, Scott. A little bit. But are you surprised that this resonates so strongly? 50 years later?
6: Uh, Not really. Um, I mean, hockey is is our game, and uh, hockey is what Canadians are all about. And uh, I think it just speaks to uh, the impact and the significance and the magnitude of that series and how it affected the game on so many levels, how it changed hockey forever, as we say in the title, and how it impacted Canadians in the day. And it created the Henderson goal, created a where-were-you moment for people of that vintage in this country and you know you think about americans and then maybe their where where were you moment is a you know an assassination of a president or the man on the moon that type of thing but for canadians uh, for us it's uh, it's a goal and a goal that uh, meant a lot to a country that was you know struggling a little bit at the time and needed a feel-good moment and got one
2: i'll turn it over to my co-host Naz.
3: Naz how important was uh the line of henderson clark and ellis in the in that series because they weren't supposed to make the team as i recall
6: no they were late choices uh, you know they had a 35 man roster and, and that was essentially because they didn't have any other team that they could play during training camp to uh for exhibition games so they had to have inter-squad games and and they were late additions they were all gr- very good players in the nhl but uh uh, there wasn't the expectation by any stretch of the imagination that they were going to step in and have an impact on the series. But it's, uh, the three of them got together on the first day of camp, and they were put together. And Henderson and Ellis, of course, played together with the Maple Leafs. And they they went and had lunch, and they all sort of said to each other, you know, we really want to make this team, so let's, let's get this job done. Let's be intense. Let's not a lot of the players came in thinking obviously that the series was going to be a lark a walk over the soviets and they didn't take training camp serious and seriously rather and and they did and that's the only line that was together from the start to finish in the tournament every other line got moved around. players were moved around in and out of the roster uh, but they were kept intact because they were so good and from the first game harry sinden once he realized and saw how good the soviets were and how some of the players were more dangerous than others. He assigned that line to the Harlem offline, and uh, we all know what happened in Game 6. But uh, So that line was uh, impactful in
2: many different ways. We're talking to Scott Morrison. Scott, uh, you know, we talk about the where were you moment, and that certainly, um, I certainly recall where I was. Naz certainly recalls where he was. All of my cohorts and all of my contemporaries remember where they were. Where were you, Scott?
6: Well, I was uh, thirteen, going on fourteen. At the t- uh, about a couple weeks later, and uh, my parents were kind enough to let me stay at home. Three of the four games were on weekdays, school days, and uh, I stayed home for for the final three. And uh, I just remember when Henderson scored, and then of course you got thirty four seconds to tick off the clock, and that was nerve wracking. You go from elation to uh, you know nervousness one more time, and then finally when the, the buzzer goes, I just know. A bunch of my friends, my buddies, we all just spilled out of, our, out of our homes and onto the street. And all of a sudden, a ball hockey game broke out, which seemed, when you look back, so typically Canadian. And, and the right thing to do at the time to celebrate, we're high-fiving. And the next thing you know, we're playing. And the team that got the short straw, they had to be the Soviets.
3: <laughs> what was the turning point in the series, Scott?
6: I think the turning point really was after that Vancouver game and and in part it was the Phil Esposito speech but not that that impacted uh the players because most of them didn't hear it at the time uh but it certainly changed the mindset of I think the fans and the country and that he you know he told them point blank that this wasn't about the Canadians underachieving you know, one win in those first four games, it was the other guys are really good. And we all underestimated them. We're sold a bill of goods, perhaps, whatever you want to call it. But the other guys are really good and we're doing our best. And I think the, the country, instead of being angry and uh, 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 bailing and support from with the team, started to figure it out themselves a little bit. And there was a lot more support by the time. They got to Moscow, and then that week away to get out of the country, get away from the noise, and they spent a week in uh, in Sweden, played a couple exhibition games. And that's when the team finally came together, and I think it was the understanding of how deep they were in terms of uh, of the predicament of being behind the Soviets. Their pride was on the line, their reputations were on the line, and, and I think they really started to feel like they were playing for the country at that point, and they were a guy, uh, that team was, you know, 10 different NHL teams were represented. And back in the day, the players didn't fraternize the, the way they do today. And they didn't like each other. If you were a Ranger, you didn't like a Boston player. And if you're of Toronto, you didn't like Montreal and vice versa. And so uh, they were kind of forced to come together at that point. And, and I think they had some really good talks and good moments together. And they realized that they were playing for that maple leaf on the front of their sweater And there was a lot on the line at that point—not just hockey pride, but national
2: pride. Uh, Scott, uh, you know, we all lived through this, but there's a. Series of generations of Canadians and Canadian hockey fans that uh, didn't live through it, and uh, you certainly in your in your book, and I and I read the book. and Congratulations, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, brings back so many vivid memories, and uh, the, the way you capture some of the scenes is 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 pretty remarkable. Do the younger generations really, when you talk to them about it, um, do they really understand? Uh, can they can they sort of can they sort of grasp? what we went through. Uh, it wasn't just the hockey series. It was a cultural war. Uh, you know, the, the, the Russians had invaded Czechoslovakia in 1968. You know, we, you know, there's so many things going on in the world. Do you get a sense that uh, uh, through your work and through uh, uh, passing these stories on, uh, that what the younger generation's perspective on the series is? Um, I don't think they can fully appreciate it. I mean, they people that I talk
6: to and I've talked to students and high schools and whatnot over the years and uh, they certainly uh, want to know about it and uh, I think eventually will appreciate that it was the world was a much different place and and that's hard when you're not of the vintage it's hard to contemplate that but I mean at, at, at that time as you know I mean it was communism versus capitalism we didn't know the Soviet Union back then it was just this Black and white image on the on the newsreels at uh, uh, you know at the six o'clock and the eleven o'clock news, and all we knew is that they were they were to be feared because they were behind that iron curtain in the east, the Eastern Bloc countries, and uh, their way of life was different than ours. and uh, And all of that kind of political and cultural pressures and differences came into play into the feelings and the mindsets of the players as this series evolved, and I think because of all that, you know, this was the first of its kind because it was our best versus their best. We'd never had the NHLers play them before, and then you have that undercurrent of all that politics and culture. You'll never reproduce that again, and that's why I suppose that we're talking about this series 50 years later, because not just because of how it unfolded and ended, but because of, uh, again, this the significance it had on so many levels.
3: Nest. Scott, so what I was uh, very surprised at was that there was 3,000 fans in Moscow. I didn't think there was any there in Canada.
6: No, there were 3,000, and they all had the book before the series. And, you know, the series was advertised by most. that It was going to be a kind of an exhibition-friendly series, and Canadians were going to walk over and, Walk over all the games and win by lopsided scores and Of course that didn't unfold quite that way and uh so it became a little more magical for those three thousand fans uh with all the drama that unfolded, and especially I'm sure they went over there really wondering what they were doing when the Canadians only won one of those first four games and not expecting to see what they did with the amazing comeback but uh You know, the players uh, to this day talk about how important those 3,000 fans were. And You know, I mentioned that Esposito speech earlier after the Vancouver game and how that kind of changed the mindset of the fans. And when the players got to Moscow, you know, when they left Canada, they felt like they were abandoned by the country. And when they got to Moscow, they felt like they were embraced by it because there were like 10,000, 12,000 telegrams and postcards and letters of support, and the trainers put them pasted them on the wall out in the hallway outside the dressing room so they could see them all and then those fans were there and you know game five as you recall they were ahead in that game feeling pretty good about themselves finally their conditioning was kicking in they were coming together as a team uh, and but they blew the lead and they lost and uh, as they were leaving the ice you know dejected obviously the three thousand fans were all together seated together at the end of the rink where they left, and, and they stood and cheered, a standing ovation. And the players said, as they say, remember to this day how impactful that was. They looked and they thought, these people really are behind us, the country's behind us, and we're playing for the country. And that was just an emotional charge for that team at a time when they really needed to feel a little bit of support.
2: Uh, Scott, sometimes we forget there was another team that was part of this series. They're, they were the Soviet Union. And uh, interestingly enough, um, there, there's been some uh, some uh, momentum to uh, get the get the Soviet side of the series. And Paul Patsko, I know a gentleman that you know that's yeah. uh, been a friend of our show, uh, uh, did a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, session on his hockey time machine where he actually had some of the Russian players, Mikhailov and Yakachev, I think Trechak was the third I can't remember and uh yes he was and I, it, I watched that show. Yeah and uh we all we we had Alex Braverman on the show as well at, at one point but I want to get your perspective the, the the Russians for them although they may have lost on the ice this was a tremendous victory for them in a lot of ways and their players uh that series to this day hasn't been forgotten in Russia either has it Scott no it hasn't and uh you know
6: in the eyes of uh You know many of the players uh, they look at that series as being a win-win you know canada was expected to win uh and they did they didn't do it in quite the way that everybody in canada had envisioned but they found a way to get it done and and win in dramatic style uh but i think even after game one the soviets were winners because they shocked the world the hockey world themselves and all of Canada by going into Montreal and winning that game seven to three, and the the mission of that series was to prove that they could play at the same level as Canada's best, as the best NHLers, and they did that. And of course, they did that throughout the series. And as those players talked about, and I've talked to many players over the years with the Soviets, is that you know there's there's still bitter disappointment in that they didn't get the job done and that they lost those final three games but they're still immensely proud that uh, that they did show the world how good they were and that they could play with the absolute best and they were amongst the very best and you know over the years there's been anniversary celebrations and the soviets of uh, the russians as they've all uh, invited uh, the Canadian team over on mass uh, to be a part of them. And they've celebrated the anniversaries and the, the Canadian players, and they mentioned it in the book is they say that, uh, you know, it felt like they won the series and not us, but it was, a, you know, there was so much pride on the line for them as well. So disappointment in the outcome, but uh, satisfaction and in, uh, in what they accomplished along the way.
3: Yes. Is there any animosity towards the players that left the team, Scott? Sorry,
2: the phone broke up there.
3: Any animosity, Scott, uh, uh,
2: uh, towards the players that left the team? Is that still lingering? Is that still fair? Uh, Your thoughts on that?
6: Yeah, I don't think there's, you know, there's no animosity. I mean, at the time, you know, they invite, as I mentioned, they invited the 35 players to camp uh, because they had to have that many, and it was an unwieldy number. And they'd promised everyone they were going to play uh, because they thought the series was going to be a lark. And obviously once that wasn't the case, then Harry Sinden and John Ferguson, the coaches, realized very quickly that they were going to have to pare the roster down. And this group had to become a team in a hurry. And, you know, when they were in Sweden prior to moving into Moscow, they decided that they were going to pair that group down to 20-21 Players that uh, were going to play those final four games for better or worse, and uh, and come to try to come together as as a team, and so that left a lot of guys standing on the sidelines. And you know you have to appreciate that all those players have been stars all their lives, and they've never been on the outside looking in. They've never been a scratch, a healthy scratch for a game, never mind a series of that magnitude. And and great players want to be on the ice to make a difference. They don't want to be watching. They want to be in there, and no matter how difficult it is. And so that was really, really hard for all of those guys that didn't get to play down the stretch. And so, you know, when they they told the team that that was the direction they were going, they left the door open for anyone to go if they wanted and no hard feelings. And, uh, you know, as Vic Hadfield says in the story, and Vic's been – you know, crucified over the years uh, for leaving the team, as Eagleson was supposed to explain that to the media, and that didn't happen. And so, mm-hmm. those players really got roasted uh, afterwards and, and unfairly in many regards. Uh, we're
2: talking to Scott Morrison. The book is 1972: The Series That Changed Hockey Forever. Please, please pick up a copy of this book. It's wonderful writing. We won't. We won't. Uh, Extend our welcome here, Scott. Just a couple of more minutes, uh, with your permission. Not yes. much longer. Uh, we actually got the opportunity to uh, interview Paul Henderson and Phil Esposito back on September twenty eighth, two thousand. Excuse me, two thousand and fourteen. Uh, and there was something I I, I, I got uh, distinctly remember from that, and it, you picked up on, on the book, and you did a wonderful job with it. Um, is Paul Henderson? Uh, he found an unusual way to get on the ice. It wasn't the coach that put him on the ice. It wasn't Harry Sinden uh, right in the last minute. As Pete Mahovlich was coming to the bench, uh, Paul Henderson uh, yelled at him to get off the ice. And Paul said that's the only time in his career that he ever yelled at a player to get off the ice. Tell us all about that story, Scott.
6: So they're in the, the final Minute and change when uh, they put the Esposito line out with uh, uh, to take a face off on their end, and then uh, Harry had told the the Henderson line with Ellis and Clark that they, if something happened, they would be next up, and uh, and yeah, Paul, you know that line was out is actually over a minute, minute and a half actually, and anyway, Paul just had this feeling that after what had happened in the previous two games of scoring game winning goal and of course the spectacular goal that he'd scored in game seven he had this feeling that something he had something special left in him and he had to be out on the ice and so he did yell at uh at uh Pete Mahovich to to come off the ice and uh and Pete says that he was coming anyway but he said uh, Ron Ellis said I've never heard a guy call another player off the ice the way he did in, in those circumstances and and, uh, you know, Paul jumped on and he, he made a beeline towards the goal and Cornwall had the puck on that one wall and uh, threw it across and uh, Paul just missed it. And um, we all know Foster Hewitt and Bob Cole told us how it all unfolded after that. But Paul just had a feeling in both the games, that, uh, those final games, that he
2: had something special in him. Uh, certainly. When you talk about uh, something special, uh, the ironic part about that um, in today's world, Paul Henderson wouldn't have even been playing in game uh, six, seven, and eight because he had a concussion in game five, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Absolutely, he
6: did, and uh, you know he was taken to the dressing. He slammed into the boards, he backwards into the boards, and and you know slumped over. And they got him off the ice, and they put him, took him to the dressing room, and the doctors and Harry Sinden said to him, he said, "Take your gear off, you're done." And he begged them not. He said the words. I don't want it to end this way it can't end this way you've got to let me go back out and they did and that would not have happened today that's for sure and the other interesting story of that game five is when it was over uh, Phil Esposito um, was having heart palpitations and uh, feeling feeling off and they they quietly took him and it wasn't reported time they quietly took him to a hospital with Canadian doctors looked at you know they did various tests and whatnot and all they determine, and I forget the medical term for it, but is that he does have an enlarged big heart. And of course that big heart shone through for all of Canada on those final three games. But can you imagine how different history might've been had both of those guys been out
2: of the series after that game? Uh, Scott, we've only got about a minute and a half left to just leave it off with this. The book is 1972, the series that changed hockey forever. Um, Scott, what's the lingering message of the 1972
6: team? Well, the message is, and there's a, a great comment that was made by John Ferguson Jr. Um, and it, over, he, he's been invited to the, you know, the celebrations over the years because his father was uh, such a big part of the team, of course, and he's heard all the stories and and lived through it in his own way. Uh, but John used the phrase that. You can't teach Canadian. And he was watching wow. the World Junior Series at the time when the, Cana- yep. the Canadian juniors came back to, uh, ironically, beat the Russian juniors and, and win a gold medal. And he said, you can't teach Canadian. And I think that's the message that came through in that series, that there's something special about us in hockey yep. and, and the Canadian mindset of playing that game. And it really shone through in that series.
2: Uh, I've never heard it expressed that way, but thank you so much. I, I don't think it could be captured any more perfectly. Scott, um, Naz and I always love going down memory lane when we talk about the 1972 series. There will be lots of opportunities to do that between now and September twenty eighth two 2022. Thank you so much for coming on this morning. Thank you so much for the book. Uh, I, it was a treat for me to read it, to relive some of those moments uh it means so much to our generation and i don't think anybody could have done it better than you've done it thank you so much well thank you both for having me and thank
6: you for those very very kind words much appreciated our pleasure scott morrison
2: Ness uh 72 we're going to have a lot of opportunities to continue talking about that um, we had an opportunity over the years talked to quite a few members of that team. We've talked to Cornway, Alice Stapleton managed to, Pat Stapleton managed to talk to him just before he passed away in that great, great show we did on September 28, 2014 which I, I went on and listened to last night with Paul Henderson and Phil on the same show. What 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 great memories, Naz.
3: Absolutely.
2: On that note, once again, uh, Naz, I always give you the final word.
3: Go Lee, go. Go. By by Sunday of next week, we'll know if they won or lost. (laughs) Hopefully we've won. To our listeners, thanks so much for listening in.
2: Have a fantastic week. Thank you.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.